Hey everyone, and welcome to Jerry Talk, a podcast for modern caregivers juggling work, home, family, and kids, all while caring for an aging parent or loved one. I'm your host, Kelly Adams, a certified senior advisor and founder and CEO of Beyond Home Care. You know, we get how overwhelming and stressful life can be, especially when you're caring for an aging loved one. Jerry Talk is here to provide you with resources, tools, and support to encourage and equip you through this journey of caregiving. My guest today is Dr. Michael Gabriel, who is the lead physician for Aspire Palliative Care in both Connecticut and New York. Dr. Gabriel attended medical school at Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine as a member of their original charter class. He completed a family medicine residency at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and then he completed a fellowship in palliative care, hospice, and geriatrics at Yale University in Yale New Haven Hospital. I'm really excited to have Dr. Gabriel on the show today, one, because he has such an awesome knowledge base that we can all really benefit from, but secondly, because death and dying and living with terminal illnesses and disease, those are just really almost taboo topics. They're things that we don't want to think about, we don't want to talk about, but I think it's really important that we have conversation around those topics so that we can understand what we can control in the process, as well as, you know, what our resources are. So I'm not going to keep us any longer. Dr. Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us here on Jerry Talk. No, it's a real pleasure to to get the invitation, and, and I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. So I think that the best place for us really to start off is just to explain, you know, what is palliative care? Sure. And I think, I mean, it's such a, a loaded term. It's such a term that can have um, a lot of myths with it. It's a term that could have stigma, but I think starting with the basics, um, right now palliative care is really care given by a team to a patient as well as their family with a goal to prevent or relieve suffering and also to to work on patients' goals and, and support the best possible quality of life for patients and their family. It's care that can be started at any point during disease, but really focuses on um, patients who may have complex disease, serious disease in, in, in stages that are advancing. So I have to ask, you know, what drew you to this specialty? Is this something that you've always known that you wanted to practice? Or was there a part in your career that kind of pushed you towards this palliative care specialty? Yeah, so I, it's still sort of, I mean, I I feel like it's weird, because I I like now date myself within it. But I, I feel that when I started medical school, it was it was even then, which is around 10 years ago, a field that I hadn't heard of before I started medical school, and I was lucky enough during very early on in our first year, we had certain specialists come to um, our courses and give a little talk, so it would go along with anatomy. So, for example, during the circulatory system, there'd be a cardiologist and a heart doctor explaining some of the things they do. And so, and by chance, there was an internal medicine doctor who was in the field of palliative care, and just my first time hearing about it and hearing about what their goal was and some of the things I just said about really focusing on the whole person and quality of life, um, relieving of symptoms and suffering, it just to me instantly clicked and sounded like something of this is why I went into medicine. So that was it was something that I was lucky enough to hear about early on and, and I've had the chance too 
I kind of had that um, burning since hearing that and through medical school and then residency and family medicine um, to the point where I did my fellowship. It's all it was always in the back of my mind of this is something that um, I want to pursue and, and I want to be a part of because it, it was still in the in the growing phase. I still think it is. It's it's pretty much exponentially growing and how how much people know about palliative care, but also what it's or the the amount of patients that we're able to touch with it. So I think that. It was something I was lucky enough to be um, shown very early in my training, but I think that's not as traditional, but it's hopefully something that as new people enter the healthcare field that they have that ability to, to know what palliative care is and that it's a, a field to pursue. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because, you know, in the South, palliative care is not kind of widely known. We know the term hospice. Um, and we know that hospice mm-hmm. is part of palliative care, but really we don't we don't have a lot of palliative care specialists or most of my clientele really has never even heard of that term. So tell me, you know, how does hospice relate to palliative care? Yeah, and I, I think I think that's always that's a great question and it's something that again, I, I think that all of care that involves advanced illness or potentially end of life kind of gets lumped in and, and a lot of times has some stigmas with it. So palliative care, there's some important crossover and, and similarities with hospice care, but there's also some some major differences. So hospice care is primarily a benefit of Medicare, but also Medicaid and some private um, insurances as well. And that is a benefit given with a patient who is qualified by two physicians to have a prognosis of six months or less. And that is care covering the costs of nursing, social work, medications, and, and a lot of other things for that patient. Traditionally, with medicine and kind of where palliative care came is if you looked at healthcare on a continuum, someone would have illness, chronic illness, advanced illness, and really at that end of life, if that was a big, long part of the graph, at the end of life, you would have hospice care. And originally, palliative care was sort of a sliver in between that chronic care and curative treatment, and then that hospice care. Where the field has grown is to be more earlier on with chronic conditions and and preventative health and advanced illness, and and kind of utilize more as those disease trajectories get further on towards the end of life. Palliative care, as compared to hospice, is, is a form of care where Patients can still seek curative treatments. They can still continue on the pathway toward treating advanced illness, whereas hospice care focuses strictly in that six-month window on on quality of life, symptom care, um, as a patient approaches death. So it, I think some of the main differences are that ability that someone doesn't have to um, stop seeing any of their specialists or their primary care doctor. They're able to continue the treatments that they're pursuing, but also having that extra layer of support during their advanced illness or chronic illness to help work with both their physical domains and their symptoms, as well as a lot of other domains of care, social aspects of care, spiritual, cultural, ethical, and legal issues, and, and really the coordination that occurs during advanced illness. So hospice really as itself, and, and I think also to speak for hospice, I think that there's some misunderstanding of exactly what that is as well. A lot of times mm-hmm. people will think hospice is a place 
um, an inpatient building or a place <laughs> in a hospital. Or hospice really is just the last few days or weeks of life. Right. So the benefit really goes with anyone who has a six-month or less prognosis. And there's some individual qualifications with different disease processes that may fit that. But it is something that is meant to really support people over a longer continuum. And it's something that people, if they improve while they're on hospice, can move on from the service. It's something that if someone doesn't like the hospice service, they can return to their stand, the, the previous level of care that they won before that. So none of these things are, are anything that is you're signing things away hmm. or that's kind of the end to make any of these decisions. They're really a continuum of care. But the big difference is that the hospice benefit is in the last six months of life compared to palliative care, which can really be inserted at, in, at any time during illness to really focus on quality of life and in the bigger picture. Yeah, so I think that a lot of times when we think of palliative care, immediately people think cancer. But I, I know that there are other diseases mm -hmm. that encompass palliative care So, or when palliative care could come into play. So what are some of the number one, I guess, disease processes that you see that typically qualify for a palliative care approach? Yeah, and I, I think that's another, I mean, that's a classic thought that, and I think that that comes from really that's where a lot of these fields started where we're in cancer or where that the model made sense at the beginning. But I think and right now in my current job, there's so much what I kind of refer as community illness that's also found within palliative care. Now, cancer is a large percentage. It makes sense. But additionally, you have congestive heart failure. Um, and at advanced stages, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and other lung diseases, kidney failure, liver failure, HIV and AIDS, any kind of neurologic decline or neurologic disease, especially cognitive impairment, dementia, stroke, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis. And really, there's, there's not, a, I think, any illness that can lead to debility or functional decline or have a trajectory of kind of worsening over time can really fit into palliative care. There's, there, while those ones I mentioned probably make up the biggest percentage, I think that for the most part, the complications of many or any chronic diseases can, can fit into the realm of palliative care. You mentioned the misconceptions. I'm sure that there are lots of misconceptions around palliative care as we hear a lot of misconceptions around hospice. So what are some misconceptions that are things that we need to address that are important that people understand about palliative care? It's such a field that when you look in um, a lot of websites or um, kind of the main organizations, they'll usually have a page about myths and, and misconceptions. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think it's important in asking about this and, and advocating for people to learn about this because it, it really can limit care if you feel or have had someone or a caregiver or a family member who's had a poor experience. It, I think it's worth looking into this and, and talking about it. So a few of them, and, and some of them may cross over to what we talked about with hospice, but one, obviously, that it's another name for hospice care. Mm -hmm. A second, that palliative care is only for people who are actively dying or in the process of dying, I think that will take cancer, for instance. People who may be going into remission may have symptoms during their, their treatment of cancer. There are people with curative um, treatments. There's people with chronic disease that may need 
palliative care. There's discussions that can happen and planning of the future that really can go with any illness at any point. So I think that that misconception is that it's four people are dying or that if you have palliative care, you'll die faster. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of pushing in that direction. And I think a lot of the evidence in in trials that they've done have really showed that there's equal to or or better quality of life in, in patients who receive both palliative and then at end of life hospice care. You mentioned the the cancer and terminal cancer is just this, the the only diagnosis. I think that is is a myth that um, I hear often of. Oh, I didn't know that this was available to me. I thought it was just cancer. People can't receive treatments such as uh, chemotherapy, surgery, dialysis, or pursue those things while receiving palliative care. I think that's another um, myth that. Patients are, are welcome to continue, and, and along with that, not only the treatments, but patients may not be able to see their primary care doctor or their specialist, and that's another myth because really palliative care, as I probably will say several times, is that extra layer of support, and, and most are based off of consultation or co-management. So the palliative specialists are working hand-in-hand with your primary team, um, your specialists, or, or in in other people that may be in these different settings, physical therapists, home health care, et cetera. So it's not something that limits uh, your ability to pursue any any other care. I, I think the only other one that I'm thinking of right now that's kind of a, a common one is that much like where hospice is sometimes seen as, is this in only a hospital or only a specific building, is that palliative care may only be available in hospitals or one single setting. And I think there's actually quite a bit of locations. Um, and, and as the field continues to grow, you'll see home-based palliative care, office-based palliative care, palliative care in hospitals, palliative care in um, nursing facilities or assisted living facilities. So it's also a service that is in many forms and in many locations. We are dancing around this in a lot of different ways, but from your own perspective, why do you think that palliative care is so important to a patient? Yeah, and and I mean, a a lot of my answer to this comes through having experience in in family medicine, experience in seeing a lot of these things, especially during my time of palliative care. But I think also it goes with some trends that you'll see throughout the whole country. I think that one, there's there's such a, a number of, and this will likely come up in a lot of conversations, especially with older populations, that the kind of the baby boomer generation is, is entering a new phase and a new um, stage. And there's going to be so many more patients that um, are fitting this category of, of complex disease. People are living longer, mm-hmm. but with many conditions. So one is just that there's so many people that this can affect in a positive way. I think for me, there's also the fact that the traditional system in healthcare, really, there's a lot of difficulties in navigating it. Sometimes there's siloed care, meaning that you may see your primary care physician who may say one thing and then see a heart doctor who has another opinion, and a lung doctor who has another thought. And they may all focus on different things, but sometimes we miss talking about the bigger picture. And sometimes still in our society, I think, as the, as the grander scheme, death is seen still as kind of part of an illness or something that we're trying to stave off mm-hmm. at all times. And I think that there are realities for some disease processes that the illness eventually will progress. And I think that so many times I've seen patients in a situation where 
we've reached a crisis point. There's a patient and their family in a hospital and they're acutely short of breath and they may need to be intubated or their organs are, are failing them. And I think most times what, what really where I see this field work so well is those kind of things can be planned. It is terrible and as upsetting in the moment as they are, there's a big difference of being informed about where a disease may end up and having those conversations beforehand and being placed in a in a situation where your understanding of it is all in real time as a crisis happens. So I think traditionally people can end up dying in a hospital or a place where they may not meet their wishes. And I think while there's no limitations to uh, like some of the myths we talked about earlier, I think that the ability for patients and their families to to advocate for them to really have what's important to them and their goals as part of the healthcare system is really the the main purpose of palliative care of why to have someone who never had a chance to explain what's important to them or plan things out in a way that fits what is most important to them and their family to me that's a real failure of medicine and we may focus on their lab results or their blood pressure but we may miss those kind of big huge bigger picture issues. And I think palliative care, uh, in my opinion, I, I wish there was, as much as I love it and love being part of it, I, I wish it wasn't a necessity because I I think all these things should be part of kind of the normal process of care. But I think right now in the way things are in healthcare, there's a lot of cracks you can fall through. So I think to have that support and to really put the patient in, in their caregivers back, feeling in charge of their health is really important. Yeah, I think you touched on such an important thing that we talk to our clients about. You know, a lot of times when I go into a home, it's in a crisis situation, um, you know, that failure to plan, which we don't like to talk about aging and death. But unfortunately, at some point, we, we are all going to die. That's something that I think we can say out loud. That's the one guarantee that we have in this world. And a lot of times what I try to tell my families is, you know, there's so much that you cannot control in this continuum of aging but we can control some of the plans we make towards the end. And if we if we just put mm-hmm. in those uh, conversations early enough, then those plans can be laid and it's not so crisis. It's not so heart-wrenching. It's not, you know, it is sad, obviously. Um, but there are things, there are steps that we can take to just make that process easier on the family. Yeah, no, and I, I think you, you hit the part that, it doesn't take away any of the in them because I, I think that to talk about these concepts are so easy. But if this same situation happened to me or a family member of mine today, when you're in that moment, it's oh, so sure. different than the objective communication. But to have, I've just seen it be so helpful at times to be prepared and to have understanding of it's still, it never makes it, it never makes it, um, normalize but at the same time to to understand beforehand and to plan and to to know what treatments or what plans a patient may want it it adds so much not only to the patient but also to caregivers especially in times where in these crisis or acute things they may not be able to speak for themselves so it it puts a lot of pressure on caregivers to have to for lack of a better term kind of read the mind of the patient of what would they want in this situation if they haven't had those conversations before well and i think even um those who are in healthcare or in the medical field it's so different when it is you know when it does hit you with family or friends or you know we see that all the time 
But you're right. I mean, just being able to have some of those conversations and knowing what the goal is. And I think that's so important because a lot of my families will say, you know, the goal is we want to extend life as long as possible. And then I've got others that they want their loved one to be comfortable. They want to be, you know, at home. Everybody's got different goals and there's no wrong or right goal, but it's what's important to that family. Mm -hmm. And if we have those conversations, then, you know, we can plan for that. So... Yeah, and it's about putting together because a lot of times if someone – all those situations you just described, people will have a goal, but we've that's the end of the discussion. What does that actually mean or what does do everything or pursue everything actually mean? So I think the curiosity of exploring that further and mixing their prognosis, their goals, their symptoms, their family, it's all those things together – you much you have a much better informed person and, and care team within family and caregivers and patient than than you may have with just those starting general statements. So how does someone know if they would qualify for palliative care or if it is something that would fit for them? Yeah, so I think that again it's it's such a wide field that I think that in different states and different areas, it's something that I would, if, if you, cause I'll talk about a couple of things, but if there's any, if any of this rings true, it seems like something that is to pursue. I think talking to their primary care physician or any kind of case manager, social worker involved in the case and, and finding out about what resources available. And I'm sure later I could mention some websites too, but I think as a method of a starting point, I'd say of kind of a checklist of is palliative care right for you? I think you start by some of the looking at some of those illnesses, those serious illnesses that we mentioned earlier. Of do do you or your loved one do they have cancer, congestive heart failure, COPD, any kind of organ failure, um, any kind of neurological disease or dementia? And then, is there any changes that have happened? Have there been falls or change in functional decline? Is there any pain or discomfort, shortness of breath, fatigue, anxiety, depression, um, appetite or sleep problems, nausea, constipation that have really affected their quality of life and progress without adequate treatment of those? Or is there more recent need to go to the emergency room or admissions to the hospital in the past year? Are, is there weight loss? Are there complications to treatment such as side effects to some chemo medicines or other treatments? Or are there problems of knowing what resources are available for that for your particular illness or knowing what options or goals you have and, and how to, to work that in? So are there kind of understanding the benefits and, and risk of certain treatments? Are there, or do you feel that there's, you don't have quite all the information to make a, a, the right choice at this point? Or is there, especially, I, and I think I mentioned it earlier, but the, the, the real key to palliative care is that not only is it a, a service and a, and a supportive care for the patient, but it's also for the family. So and caregivers. So is there difficulty in coping with the stress of a serious illness or emotional support or any kind of spiritual or religious impact of a serious illness? Or is there barriers within a family of understanding an illness and how to proceed? So I think if any of those kind of ring true, then there's usually an impact because palliative care is not simply kind of one person. It's not just a physician or a nursing. It's 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 a, a team approach. And, and while each team may be different in their capacity, normally, I mean, there are, to, to manage those different domains, there's 
uh, physicians, nursing, social work, chaplaincy, a lot of connections to community resources. So I think that that's a lot of the things. And then to break it down in the most simply is, is there some form of advanced or serious illness in any, any kind of symptoms or anything that goes into your wellness or quality of life that you think can be improved? And I think that there's a role for palliative care. Now, it may not be in specialty level care of seeing palliative care specialists, but I think at the same time, these principles of palliative care, and there's something known as primary palliative care, these conversations can also be done within your primary care physician or different other members of your health team. So while some you may find a lot of resources to specialty level palliative care, I think the, the core principles really apply to not just this specialty level of care, but within your own family, within to have someone who advocates for you, within your health team involving your primary care doctor, there's there's plenty of room for these core concepts to be utilized. So you talked about how hospice is a Medicare benefit. Is palliative care mm-hmm. a Medicare benefit? Is it covered under typical insurance? How does that kind of work? Yeah, so it's and that I think that can be at some points like another myth about it of is it just a very high cost? And I think that it is individual to to most locations. I don't think there's a blanket statement. I think under most circumstances it's covered. And again, there's many programs that involve home care in facilities, hospitals and office settings. There can be some that are covered directly through insurance. There's some that may have co-pays. But for the most part, um, palliative care is really, I think that even at the insurance level, they're seeing the impact of palliative care in, in providing better quality of care for patients. And I think that it's very supported at most levels. You'll see recently that most hospital systems are really trying to have some level of palliative care as as now sort of a kind of a general starting point that it should be something that's in each. So I think that while it is individualized, I do believe most you'll find will be covered to some degree by each insurance plan, both commercial and through Medicare or Medicaid. So you mentioned a couple of resources. So are there some good resources that we can provide our audience to research palliative care, to learn more about if their disease would match or would be a good fit? Yeah, and I, I actually, there's a couple different ones that I want to bring up that I looked up beforehand that I think are really good. And I think the first is through the Center to Advance Palliative Care, CAPC. And this is one of their websites that they run. It, it's called getpalliativecare.org. And from that, there's resources related for caregivers, for handouts, for disease-specific questions. There's a lot of, I think, believe there's some additional podcasts or media um, stories about palliative care. There's a lot of history about it. And it's, but this is really tailored to caregivers and families, as well as there's some patient sections as well. But on that site as well, they have a an additional kind of little quiz that is is palliative care right for you? And it, it really brings up a lot of the questions. It's just four simple yes or no questions, but they bring up a lot of the points I brought up earlier of what illness um, they may have, what symptoms, and some of the other questions, actually five questions, but 
that that would be one the first place I'd uh, recommend. And then there's from the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. There's additional information for families and caregivers, um, and this is through the website caringinfo c a r i n g info dot org. And that also involves some downloadable advanced directives and advanced care planning information. But um, I believe through those two. There's quite a, a bit of, of resources. I, th I think from the getpalliativecare.org, they also have by region um, what resources and palliative care may be available to each state or, or region. Great. Well, we'll link those below in the show notes so that everyone can easily get to those. So, Dr. Gabriel, as we wrap up, is there anything that you feel like we as caregivers need to know about palliative care that we just don't realize right now? Well, I, I think that if I think the most important thing is your role as a caregiver in, in the realm of palliative care. I find that while there's so many things a team can do to help with these issues, I really find that the advocacy of, of having a caregiver who understands the patient's wishes and can advocate for that patient is is something that kind of trumps all of that. And I would say to really feel empowered um as as a caregiver that if if there's questions that are important to a patient or important to kind of the family and caregiver of the patient to ask those at visits and to make sure that you're satisfied with the information that comes through your healthcare team to not be complacent with just what what information is provided but to really ask the questions that are important to you i i just think that there's so much better results, not when it's different physician groups talking back and forth, but really the patient and their family being educated and, and having the the empowerment to, to ask the right questions and to feel comfortable to ask those questions and to explore the, the questions that are really most important to them. I think that's one of the most important things. And, and secondly, as a starting point, I think something that can apply to myself, can apply to anybody, is I think that it's really good as a starting point with palliative care to think about someone who would serve as a surrogate for you or so, uh, dis, uh, someone who can um, relay your decisions if you were unable to because you can really take someone at any age and put them in a situation where under an emergency they may lose that ability to speak for themselves. So I always think that's a good starting point because one, it's not someone making decisions based off of what you think, but they're going to be making the decisions that would be what you feel is important. And two, it starts that discussion of what decisions are important for me at this stage. And those kind of things can change over time. But I think most importantly is that we're comfortable to have these discussions and check in and, and make it not just a one-time deal, but a living discussion over time to, to really assess where are we and what might be our, our best goals moving forward. That's great. We'll link a copy of an advanced directive. I know that there's a different ones per state, and I want to say that there's a good website mm -hmm. that you can click and figure out which one's for your state, but I think that's really important too. So yeah, this was really great. I feel like we got a lot of good content that'll be really helpful. I, I'm really appreciative of getting a chance to, to answer a couple of these questions. Like I said, I think this is really good information. I think that even if, you know, somebody who's listening doesn't necessarily have a palliative care specialty in their area, it starts the conversation with their primary care physician, their oncologist, whoever it is that they're seeing. I think it's important that yeah. they realize that they can advocate for themselves on just their quality of life. Exactly. I just, I mean, that's the big, the biggest point is, and just from seeing it so often is, and it could be for any, like it doesn't even have to be advanced illness, but 
if you don't kind of be part of setting the agenda and talking about what's important to you, then a lot of times you're, you're kind of at the mercy of, of what gets brought up and, and it leaves it open to, well, if they didn't ask about it, maybe they don't want to talk about this or it's something that I don't want to push. I think in, in the healthcare field, it's for a lot of people it's still difficult to talk about these things, but when it's mutually kind of initiated with family and patient and the whatever team is they're talking to it it makes it a lot easier but yeah no I, I think that caregivers really are such an important role in palliative care and, and and they really are the advocates for patients hey thanks for joining us today subscribe to jerry talk so you never miss an episode and share it with other caregivers who could use the encouragement and support join us next week for another great episode until then have a great week